As I said earlier, my name is Wade Owens, uh, your pastor, Brandon Owen. He is O-W-E-N. I am O-W-E-N-S. There is just one of him, but I have multiple personalities. So we are a little bit different. I, I love being on the Brentwood team. I've been here two years now, and I love it. I have a wife of going on 22 years. We have three kids, 14, 12, and 9, and I love every one of them, boy, girl, girl. It's interesting. I didn't hear about Jesus until I was 19 years old, and I was waiting tables, and I walked into a restaurant, and I met the most beautiful girl I have ever seen in my life. And so first thing I did was, man, turn on the smolder, try to get to know her, asked her, hey, what are you doing Monday? What are you doing Tuesday? What are you doing Wednesday? She kept turning me down, and finally I was like, what about Sunday? And she said, well, I go to church. Do you go to church? And I was like, I'll go anywhere you want to go. And she said, are you a Christian? I said, is that good? She said, yes. So I said, sure. And I went to church for the first time. And it was at church for the first time at 19 years old, I heard the story of Jesus Christ. Parents were divorced, came from a broken home, addiction all throughout most of my family, both sides. And three weeks into that, Jesus just changed my life. I watched my parents respond to the gospel. My mom and dad got remarried to each other. Got to see my brother and my sister. Before I left Houston to come here, I baptized the last of my nieces and nephews. Yeah. And so, as we talk about the the big story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, I, I have seen a family that's been broken and I've seen a family that's been restored, and I see how Jesus changes legacies. And my wife and I have just been passionate about Jesus ever since, and we travel quite often. One of my passions is unreached people groups and going to the nations, and I take uh, mission trips quite often. And I remember um, loving to go on mission trips, and I love to go, and I love to see all that Jesus does in and through our time. And there's so much to accomplish. And Good works for the gospel. One of my favorite memories was being in Mongolia in the winter, and it was negative 20 degrees the entire week. And we were invited into a family's home while we were there. And the traditional meal or the traditional food is mare's milk and horse meat. And I'm trying to find the right word to describe to you what it tastes like. And the only thing I can think of is like just death. <laughs> it is horrible. And, and I remember going home after being gone for two weeks and seeing my wife and my family at the airport for the first time. And I, just, I can't tell you, like in that moment, how great it felt to just be home. I, j- I just wanted to be home. As, as, as amazing as the experience was, it, just, it wasn't home. And, and being home is, is a place of soul rest for me. Quite regularly, I'm in difficult or tough situations, and uh, I have to go grieve with families. I serve as the chaplain of the Nolensville Police Department. And so quite often we have to go provide difficult news or just tough news. When we show up at the door, it's normally not, not the people that you want to see. And there's just long, weary days. And there's so many times, have you ever felt that you just, you just want to be home? You just, you just want to be home. And Kim and I, we've shared our own stories of heartache. For the first seven years of our life, we went through six miscarriages. And I remember at times like holding her and feeling completely inadequate to comfort her and going, baby, I I can't make it better. 
But what I can do is look to God's word and just be reminded that this world's not all there is. And that one day we really are going to be home. And so this week, in in week four of our series, The Big Story, what we're going to find out is where our home truly is. We're going to see John in the book of Revelation talk about home. And in this series, we've covered creation. God made it, and it was beautiful. And we looked at the fall, and we look at how sin broke it. But last week, you talked about redemption, how Jesus has restored it. And in today, what you're going to see in the big story, week four, is that we finally get to be home. And so I want you to stand with me as we read out of the book of Revelation. And I tell our, our church all the time, hey, bring a copy of the Word of God with you. We preach from the CSB here, but, but I want you to know that, man, we're not making this stuff up. This is God's word that we declare to you. I also encourage you, man, bring something to write on. Bring something to write with. Statistically, if you take notes, your retention goes up 40%. And if you review your notes one time during the week, your retention goes up to 80%. So we want to take our spiritual growth seriously. Amen? So Revelation 21, 1 through 4, John says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. And they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more, and grief and crying and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Verse 3, look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And he will live with them, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. So Jesus, today, thank you for the promise of redemption, that we can be not only saved, but we can be set free in this life. But thank you for the reminder that as glorious as this world is, it's not home. And may we long more for Jesus, and may we long more for our eternal home. So fix our eyes on you today, the author and perfecter of our faith, as we study your word. In Jesus' name. And the church said... Amen. So I'm sure just like Brandon does, what I love to do is not just read a passage, jump out of it, but I love to go back in and look at each individual verse and man, try to squeeze all of what's in there. And my, my sermon today is only going to last about 55 minutes. So we don't have time to really squeeze a lot, but we're going to try to get the most that we can out of it. So let's look back at verse uh, one in revelation 21. And I want you to see where it says, I saw a, what, what does it say? A new heaven and a what? New earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. What John is telling you, the author of the book of Revelation, is that God is going to make it entirely new, made new forever. And when God created the world for the first time, he stood back and he looked at his work. And in Hebrew, he said it was tov ma'od, which means totally good, perfectly good, but it was broken by sin, corrupted by sin. But God is not going to just renovate this earth. That's not what God's going to do. He's going to replace it entirely. John says with a new heaven 
and a new earth, a place for us to be at home with him. And the first earth was originally paradise. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, enjoyed perfection, but paradise was lost. But what John is promising us is that paradise will indeed be regained And there will no longer be any effects of sin. That's what John is saying. He's telling us about heaven. And you may be wondering, well, what what more is it going to be like? Well, keep looking. Put verse 1 back up there. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. But the sea, John says, was no more. Currently, right now, three-fourths of our globe is covered with water. And historically, water has divided nations. And in John's day, the sea really had a mysterious quality. The ancients, um, they, they thought it had a source of mystery and evil. And John, do you know where he's writing from when he writes the book of Revelation? Okay, this is a group participation part of the sermon. Do you know where he's writing from? The Isle of Patmos. He's being exiled because he was a follower of Jesus. So he's sitting on the Isle of Patmos, surrounded by sea. He is now distant from his relatives, distant from those he loves. So the sea was not a blessing to him in that moment. No, it was a sign of separation. And so John points out the sea is no more, meaning to you and I, there will be when we get home, no separation from our Lord. No separation from our loved one. It's a sign of intimacy. The sea is no more. But but keep reading. He has more to say. Verse 2. Then I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And John saw not only a city, but John saw what he described as a holy city. And do you see in the text what the name of this city is? What is it? It's not hard to enter. It's not Harpeth Heights. No offense. But it is the new Jerusalem. And he says, not only is there the new Jerusalem, but look back in the verse. He says, it's, it's coming down. Do you know why the city is coming down? Because the Bible says every good and perfect gift does what? comes down from the Father. So John is saying to you, hey, this city is so beautiful and so perfect, no human hands could have created it. This is a gift from God. This is something only God could make because only God can create something that's holy and it's such a grand and perfect place that it has to come down from the Father. And if you didn't know this, God has a legitimate and significant investment in the city of Jerusalem. The old city Jerusalem was called the beloved city, but the new city Jerusalem is called the holy city. And new Jerusalem takes on a new character. This heavenly city coming down takes on the character of its creator. It's perfect. It's restoration. It's the new city, the holy city, Jerusalem. And he says this, it's like a bride adorned for her husband. And I I love the symbolism of marriage here. Show of hands, married people, single people, look around. That's what you're working with. We got eight campuses in case you don't like it here this morning. You know, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But when, when couples are planning for marriage, are there 
engage. There's, there's so much preparation for that day, the wedding day, the exchanging of the vows, the consummating of the relationship, the two really becoming one and the bride, man, all she's thinking about is, man, I'm thinking about the colors and the hairstyles and the gowns and the flowers and the guy, he's just trying to be interested and just get through the day, you know? But there's, there's preparation for that day, biblical counseling, preparing. We prepare for a marriage. But what John is saying is God is also preparing for us and preparing for our home. He's preparing right now our eternal home. And it's referred to as a bride adorned for her husband. I love what John is saying here. And I feel like when I read it, John, tell me, tell me more. Well, well he does. Look, look at verse 3. He says, then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and they will be and he will be their God. Wow. There's something profoundly significant declared in this verse. Do you see the word with How many times do you see the word with repeated in this verse? How many times? Three. Now, now God doesn't, God doesn't waste words. God is the master of communication. He doesn't stumble. He doesn't try to figure out how do I best want to say this? And he just kind of rambles around like land the plane. God, what are you trying to say? No, God knows what he's doing. And so God doesn't mince words. And when he repeats himself, he repeats himself on purpose. And John, communicating God's worth, declares with incredible emphasis, God is going to be with his people. I can't believe y'all didn't go nuts over that right now. Like that is cooler than the streets of gold if you didn't know. God is going to be with his people. Three times in one verse, God declares through John, I'm going to be with you. And for those of you who were wondering, like, this should dispel any myth right now that heaven's going to be boring. And you don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever wondered, man, heaven's going to be a little bit boring? I mean, after all, what, what in the world are we going to do for eternity? I mean, I grew up, I'm a child of the 80s, grew up in the struggle, and they didn't really know what to do with ADD kids here. And I would hear about, you know, 10,000 years times 10,000 years, 10,000 years. I'm like, oh, my Lord, that's great for a day, but what else are we going to do, float around, strum a harp? I mean, it's great for a, a day, you know, a little bit of a retreat, but come on, eternity? It's John is dispelling the myth that heaven would be boring because he says three times in one verse, you're going to be with God. Adam and Eve used to walk with God, talk with God, enjoy his presence in the cool of the day. Literally, your first parents, the first humans created, were knee to knee, eye to eye, face to face with God himself. And when we get home, the same is going to be true for us. We get to be with God. So don't wonder anymore. What is heaven going to be like? Because John isn't telling us so much what. He's telling us who. Who 
Jesus is going to be there. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, who came the first time, but hello, the grave is empty. He's coming back. And he's getting his church, and he's taking his church home. And we're going to be with him. And there's going to be unimaginable joy and unending pleasure with our God. Joy with no more tears, with no more pain, with no more abuse and divorce and sadness and wars. You know what that's like? No. We can't even imagine what that's like because we still live in a broken world. And I love this world. But let's just face it, as followers of Jesus, even though we're redeemed and we're made new and we're sons and daughters, this world will make you cry, right? This world will break your heart. This world can can be crushing to your spirit. And even as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, can I just be honest with you for a minute? There are times in my life where I just wonder, God, where are you? Ever been there? Where are you in this? You don't seem near. It doesn't feel like you're on top of things. Because I shouldn't be crying like this. It shouldn't hurt like this. Where are you? John says, Revelation 21, 3, you'll never ask that question again because you'll be with God. And then the psalmist in Psalm 16, 11 gives us just even a little bit more of a picture into what heaven's going to be like. Psalm 16, 11 says this. It says, you revealed to me the path of life and in your presence is what? What's the word? Abundant joy, and at your right hand or what? Scripture says two things you're going to experience when you get to heaven and you're with God. One is the fullness of joy. So think about a time that was just joyful to you, where joy just swelled up in your heart. Maybe it was when you were engaged or when you first started dating or maybe when you were married or your first child or you got that first promotion. Like Those moments are great and they're awesome and joy swells up in our heart. But what happens is they... They can fade. And our experience here is mountaintops and valleys and mountaintops and valleys. And there are times where we feel like, man, joy is exploding in my heart. But a phone call can change your heart and your life, right? And so you're up and then you're down. But what the Bible says, in, in the presence of, of God, like the highest point of joy that you've ever experienced, maybe it's in worship, maybe it's in his word, where their time is like, God, you're so near in this moment, that that's just a peek into the reality of what's never going to stop. Always and forever, fullness of joy too, eternal pleasures. The Hebrew word for pleasure is na'im. It means delight. So think about something that's delightful. You know, Jenny's ice cream, maybe. Christmas morning, Texas A&M football. (laughs) But, But even when we have moments of sheer delight, they don't last because the world is broken. But God, through John, promises you that in the presence of God, unending pleasure and joy forever and ever and ever. Why? Because you're with God. 
forever and ever. And we have no concept of that. But it's true. Joy, pleasure. And, and I love what Jonathan Edwards says because, but he gives, I think he gives us even a little bit more of a glimpse into why there's going to be such joy and pleasure in heaven. And, and Jonathan Edwards says this quote, Every Christian friend who goes before us from this world is a ransom spirit waiting to welcome us into heaven. There will be the infant who lived a few days that we have lost below, the mother, the father, the dad, the brother, the sister. Through grace, we will one day be reunited again. End quote. You lost a loved one? I mean, I told you we had six miscarriages in the first seven years. In the last five years of my life, I've buried both sets of my grandparents, great-grandparents, and three months before I moved out here, my dad went home to be with the Lord. And I, I can't fully put into words how much I miss him. And I would... I'd love to get him see, to see the church at Nolensville being planted. And my son playing football. I just, I really would. But I know there's going to be a day where we're reunited. And that's part of the joy and the pleasure of heaven is, is those who have gone before us. And we're going to be at home with God, completely free from all the entanglements of sin Forever. With our king. So think about a perfect relationship with your spouse. This means you never have heated fellowship anymore. That's arguing if you didn't know. (laughs) Spouse, parents, kids. We're home with our family forever. It's part of the joy. But Edwards goes on and he says this. Quote, we're also going to have companionship with the patriarchs and the saints of the Old Testament and the New Testament, those of whom the world was not worthy, end quote. You think about that. How cool is that? You're going to be sitting down and hanging out with the people we read about right now. That's awesome. I mean, I've thought about that. And scripture says we're going to recognize each other. They saw Jesus post-resurrection, recognized him. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and uh, Peter, James, and John were there, like, oh, that's Moses. That, that's Eliza. They, they recognized them. So I can't wait to sit down and talk to Peter. Like, man, I, I'm so hard-headed, man. I, I really, really associate with you. I felt like I tripped over myself all the time. Paul, man, I'm so inspired by the way you planted churches and lived sacrificially. Noah, how in the world did you do that? Job, man, I, I leaned on your words so many times. Zacchaeus! My main man, Zacchaeus. You know the wee little man? The wee little man was he? He climbed up in a... Yeah. But he's going to have his new glorified body, so we may high five. Hey, you're not wee anymore, you know? I don't know. <laughs> Mary. What was it like to feel God kick inside of you? The lady who wiped Jesus' feet, the Roman centurion, the thief on the cross. Part of the joy and pleasures forever is that, that you're one part of God's story that's being written and has been written for thousands of years. And we get to be reunited 
with the entire family of God. It's a great gift. It's a great gift. You know what else is a great gift? Look at verse 4. Look what verse 4 says. Verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And I've always wondered about this. You know, the no tears and no crying. And I really have a hard time with that. I don't, I don't fully understand this because I can't imagine meeting Jesus face to face for the first time. I can't imagine meeting Jesus for the first time and not just weeping. I can't imagine seeing for the first time the one that I've loved for the last 23 years, the one that I've spent countless hours in the quietness of the morning, the one that I've cried out to in my darkest hours, the one that saved me and restored me and redeemed my entire family. I can't can't imagine seeing for the first time and not just falling on my face and just going, you did it. You got me here. You finished the work inside of me that you said you would. You d- I can't imagine being there, knowing how broken and sinful I am and just meeting my Savior and not just bawling. I don't get it. But the Bible says he will wipe away every tear. So, so I don't know, but it sounds like there may be tears when we get there. But then just imagine... Imagine your Savior taking your face in his hands and wiping them away. And knowing those are the last tears that will ever drop. He wipes away every tear. Part of the reason why he wipes every tear away is because look at how he finishes verse 4. He says this, death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be No more. Because the previous things have passed away. I mean, no more pain. I get it. Like, my back hurts right now. I'm 42 and just feeling old. I'm sorry. When you get my age, some of y'all will understand. No more death. I can't envision it. Because death is a part of the human condition, not part of God's original plan but it's a result of brokenness. God warned man and said there's a consequence of disobedience and it leads to death. And Satan came along and said, God didn't really say that. And he caused them to mistrust the goodness of God. In Genesis 3, they sinned. Genesis 5, death entered the world. So every time you attend a funeral, you can think two things. One, God tells the truth. Satan's a liar. But in the end, those things won't be because we're home. No more death, no more pain, no more disease. There is a day when what we have put our faith in will be our eyes. And we walk by faith here, but there's going to be a day when our faith is our eyes. And, and Paul says that three things remain. You know what they are? Faith, hope, and what? Love, but the greatest of these is love. And one of the reasons why I think Paul says the greatest of these is love is because when you get to heaven and you're with God, you're not going to need hope anymore because hope's right in front of you. You're not going to need faith anymore because you're standing in front of the author of faith. And only love will endure forever and ever. I don't know, it seems like a distant reality. And I know that the majority of this room probably doesn't long for heaven that much. I don't always long for heaven. 
And a reason why I don't long for heaven is because I'm so busy trying to make my own heaven here. So busy trying to find the pleasure and joy in this world. And it just can't give it. But we keep trying. And the definition of insanity is to continue to do the same thing and expect different results. And so my question to those of you who just keep trying to find the joy and pressure that your heart was built for here, like, how's, how's that working? Like, how restful does your soul feel when you do that? What sort of lasting joy are you really finding? What sort of eternal pleasures do you find? We we should experience a taste of heaven on the way, but we can't build our own heaven. We should long for heaven. And people say you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I always use a big Greek word in response. Baloney. Jesus said, fix your eyes on me, the author and perfecter of your faith. Gaze at me. Look at me. And Jesus right now is building a home. He promised his disciples in John 14, if I go, I'll go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will return so that you may be where I am. How long did it take God to create the world the first time? Six days. How long has Jesus been working on eternity? I knew him. At least 2,000 years. The Bible says, eyes haven't seen and ears haven't heard what awaits for us when we get there. And I want to leave you with really just a couple of thoughts. One, How are you fixing your eyes on Jesus this week? And that's really what I'm asking you today, is to to gaze on Jesus, long for heaven, and really rejoice that that this world isn't isn't all there is, but, but long for Jesus, long for heaven, long to be home. Because listen, The more our gaze is on him, the more our gaze is on our eternity and our reality, the more we give our life away here. The less we try to just make ourselves comfortable here. The less we hoard our stuff here. The more gospel conversations we have. The more we lean into darkness and the more we long for others to come go home with us. So gaze on Jesus. Long for your home because it will change the way you live here. And Jesus is really clear about how to know that is your home. Romans tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is a Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, we're so glad you're here. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you think it's all made up. I mean, we're just it's a safe place. But if something inside your heart today is stirring and something inside you says, man, I, 
I long for Jesus, but I don't know what to do. I want to invite you in just a moment to pray with me and respond to Jesus. and Cry out to him. And today, your life can be changed forever. And so as we pray, there's two invitations. One, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, ask God to give you a fresh view of him. And say, as I'm, as I'm headed for heaven, I want my life to count here. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then I just want to invite you into a relationship with him today. So let's, let's bow our heads, close our eyes, wherever you are. And before we sing again, let's, let's pray together.